This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks, before you tap into this latest Lakers Legacy podcast episode, we would please like to ask for your guys' support. All you have to do is subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast app and leave a five-star rating and review. That goes a long way in maintaining the consistency and quality of this podcast moving forward. And also, it just lets us know that you're listening, and we love to know that you're listening. So thanks for your support, and yeah, go hit that five-star rating and review button. And now, on with the showtime. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, at this point, when it comes to the Lakers turning the season around, winning both their games in the play-in tournament, making the playoffs, and then going on a deep playoff run, it's not a matter of if, but when. Yen. Gabriel! Hey! Coming out of the All-Star break, the Lakers had only won two of their first 11 games. That's bad. In the last week, the Lakers have won two out of their last three games. Oh, that seems better. My, my, how the turntables, as Michael Scott would say, or turning point tables, rather. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, welcome back, first of all. Thank you. Um, Is this recent run by the Lakers, dare I say a glimmer of purple and gold hope in Lakers Nation. At no. the very least, it's clear. Oh. Okay, don't, I mean, don't give it away. <laughs> At the very least, it's clear the king is on a mission because over here in these parts, we've got no scapes, just a goat. We're going to talk about LeBron James, obviously. Uh, but Tommy, welcome back to the show after, I don't know, like two or three weeks or so. First, how, are you, how have you been doing and then second, before we dive into any of the specifics, as a Lakers fan, over the last, you know, three-game quote-unquote hot streak that the Lakers have been on, and I'm trying my best not to be cynical and give away my <laughs> my stance on this, uh, and I want to allow myself for some positivity because I know, you know, fans hate... It's been a very pessimistic season, let's just say that. But as a fan, are you allowing yourself to believe in a glimmer of hope um, at the end of the day, this just feels like the longest season in the world. But maybe, just maybe, with only 10 games left, maybe the Lakers have a second wind or second wind. Um, but in totality, are you buying this? How much are you buying this? How much room are you leaving for? Well, let's see. Maybe something magical could happen and magical being maybe they come out respectable in all of this. Um, let's see. I I don't think... <laughs> I'm not okay. I, again, I'm, I guess trying not to be super pessimistic because I guess things technically have been going well, but I'm not like very convinced that anything is going to really change here. I mean, I, I I'm not. I don't feel that encouraged by what's happened in in the last week or so. And yeah, you know, it's like you said, we won two out of three, and and beyond winning two out of three, we I mean, we were in position to win 
all three of those on the road mm-hmm. against East Eastern Conference teams. You know, two of the three of those being playoff teams. Um, so, you know, on paper, you know, if you hadn't watched the games, I guess, yeah, that that seems good. But I mean, this was the team that prior to this stretch, you know, got completely destroyed three games in a row. I mean, completely destroyed, you know, by the Timberwolves, by the same Raptors and by the Suns. Um, so I, I just get like a lot of vibes from this team that essentially, I mean, they're a bad team and, and, uh, you know, here breaking news on this podcast, they're a bad team, but, um, bad teams are like this, right? I mean, there's no team in the NBA that wins zero games. I mean, even, you know, I, I should pull the standings and look at the win percentages, but even the, uh, Detroit Pistons win over a quarter of the games they play. You know what I mean? The Sacramento Kings win 34% of the games they play. That doesn't mean, you know, they're a good team. And and we're sitting at 43% over the season. But when you factor in, like, our post-All-Star game record, we're win percentage, one of the worst teams in the league. But even the worst teams in the league win games sometimes. You know what I mean? It's more about Mm -hmm. how we're getting there. People like to point to the offense, and the offense has been much better the last week or two weeks or so. I don't know what exactly the reason for that is, other than guys have gotten hot, right? But that's why it's like, it's hard to take it too seriously because, you know, are we getting better or are we just a team that is going to win a game here and there, win 35%, 40% of our games when we have a bunch of guys who get hot from three or get hot on open jump shots because it's like, I feel like we were getting essentially the same quality of looks we were getting previously. We're playing the same level of defense we were playing previously, which is not good defense overall. And we're just making shots now. Um, Does that make me like optimistic in a vacuum, not really. Does it make me somewhat optimistic because, you know, you have the looming like AD potentially returning in the next couple of weeks or whatever. Um, perhaps, uh, you know, if these guys can get hot, like that's really in some ways all it takes. Like, you know, the, some of the top seeds in the West and, and given how things are shaking out here, I mean, I will say the Clippers have lost four in a row. So Although there's not that many games, I guess technically the eight the eight seed is not totally out of reach if they continue just free falling. It, but in all likelihood, we will end up as the um, as the you know eight seed at best um, after the play in, and so we'll very likely get the Phoenix Suns in the first round. And I you know I guess Chris Paul has been banged up, but you know he'll be back and. It'll be a rematch from last year, so guys will be a little motivated. And if we have healthy AD and LeBron, you know, especially LeBron playing the way he's played this year, mm-hmm. you you can always fall back on like anything can happen. But from my perspective, it just this is not like a good team, and and I just think it's you know you want them to go out there and try to compete every night, and it's been really awesome seeing LeBron do the things that he's done this season. But this team, to me, still doesn't really stand a chance. And it has nothing to do with, like, these glimmers that we see of, like, oh, this team can play offense. No, it's like, it's still a two, you know, you still have to account for the defensive side of the floor. We play no defense. AD will help a little bit. But not enough. And we just don't have the cohesion and and chemistry needed to, to make a, a serious push against the top seeds in the West. 
Sure. And I think that's totally fair. And I think you're looking at it from a macro perspective of what what is all this at the end of the day. And in this episode, we're going to get into the more granular of digging into, even if in the aggregate, it's not really going to mean much for this team being super competitive, we are going to try and see what has worked, what are the glimmers of positivity that we have seen, namely playing more of the young guys who are hustling, giving more effort. There does seem to be a little bit more juice and pop. You know, Russell Westbrook playing better over this last three-game stretch, obviously. LeBron James continuing to be supernova. The lineups having more, being more intuitive with regards to spacing, obviously, and, and Vogel staggering things a little bit better. We'll get into those specifics and the specific players, namely Wenyan Gabriel's addition, Stanley Johnson coming back around. But to address what I just told you, Tom, or just asked you about whether or not you're buying this, I, for the most part, also am in alignment with you. And again, I don't mean to be so pessimistic and cynical, and I don't want to always be the one to throw a wet blanket over stuff. And and like I mentioned, in this episode, we're going to compartmentalize things to focus on the positive, kind of the same way that LeBron James has um, these last few weeks, and it's turned out for the better, or at least produced some wins. But... Tommy, some of the things that I feel like we've been marveling over or some some fans have been marveling over in this last three-game stretch is playing better shooters for better spacing, right? That's We've seen that happen more. Playing the lankier, taller players who will hustle next to LeBron. Playing the young kids with more pop and juice more. Uh, staggering Westbrook better. Westbrook coming around a little bit better. So would you agree those are the things that have been working somewhat? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yes. I'm going to expand on that. So I, I agree. Those are the things that work sort of like, look at this, right? My counterpoint to that is these are all things we've been saying since October. Yes. These are all things we've seen flashes of since November. It's now just being done with slightly different cast of characters where DJ Augustine is playing Wayne Ellington, Stanley Johnson and Wenyan Gabriel are now taking over for a reason, Kent Bazemore. And that's, that's a lot better because they have fresher legs and are younger. But the reason I bring that up is it it sort of just feels like we're watching a new episode of a storyline we've already seen earlier in the season. So it's almost like a fake new episode with tweaked characters and story beats that's being presented to us, but largely the same plot points. So for me, I'm kind of like, why after seeing flashes of this earlier on in the season and then seeing that sputter out due to a number of reasons, injuries, the coach reverting back to his old habits and being stubborn, uh, or players losing effort and focus. If that's already happened multiple times within the course of one season, why should I believe it now is sort of my stance, right? And to play devil's advocate, I guess, for one, because it's being done with younger players with more with more skill, and they're actually growing within the season, i.e. Austin Reeves and Stanley Johnson, right? So that's one reason to be a little bit more optimistic. And then two... I guess since we're almost done with the season, whether the guys actually have any playoff hopes in mind or just want the season to get over with, I think there's that aspect of the season's almost done. Why don't we just have fun out there and leave it all out on the floor or go down swinging, right? Which I feel like is somewhat sort of LeBron's mentality. So I think when you get in that sort of mindset where it's like senioritis mode, good things can, you know, somewhat come out of that if guys are willing to expend uh, what juice they have left because they can see light at the end of the tunnel. It's sort of that light at the end of the tunnel mentality. So let's actually try out there and see what we can do and scrap it up because there is only 10 games left. So did you want to expound on any of what I just mentioned? 
Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it just all feels like so fake. You know what I mean? This whole year mm-hmm. has been fake, and it's it's funny because like the fake comebacks have become like a thing on Twitter now, like with people referencing that. But it's it's been like that the entire season. That's you know, it's obviously not even just a a recent thing that's happened, and and so it's like you. You get this optimistic stretch, but, I mean, we've even been down this road before. You know what I mean? We had, like, a sure. fake little run right before the All-Star break, like, after the trade deadline where everyone was like, oh, I don't know. There's been, like, a there's been like a change in, um, in, in how this team is approaching things, and then that very quickly faded, um, you know? And, yeah, you could say that maybe there's some... They got demoralized because of no AD or whatever. But, you know, throughout this season, and that's why, you know, another joke has been, this is actually the turning point. Well, this is actually the turning point, you know. And so I just feel like, yeah, it's all fine, um, but it's probably more likely than not a flash in a pan of an 82-game season. We had this stretch where we got hot. I mean, if you look back at our seasons where we were winning 26, 30 games or whatever, I guarantee you we had stretches where we beat, like, Two good te- or two out of three, we had you know, two out of three wins against good teams, um, even yeah. during those times. So it's that's that's the point. It's like we'll we'll do that and we'll play the Sixers tonight at home and get beat by thirty. So it's yeah. it. <laughs> well, I mean, considering we're recording this hours before the Sixers game, now that you put that out into the universe, Tommy, we're probably going to win and we're going to look stupid. But having said all of that, the way that we're even framing this right now kind of tells a lot because. We still have yet to win two games in a row since January, right? LeBron has been going supernova just for us to be in these games and have a chance to win. And just as easily as we could have won three games in a row, we also could have lost three games in a row too, right? I.e., if Russ doesn't keep his toe behind the three-point line or doesn't hit that crazy game-tying three in the first place. So regardless, there are a lot of positive things going on, and I, I am excited at what I'm seeing from the young guys and the potential there that we can carry over into next season, potentially. I am in awe of what LeBron's doing. I'm happy Russ is able to sort of gain some semblance of dignity here over the last three games. And I am very cautiously intrigued by AD's return. But I'm not believing anything this team does till they at least win three games in a row. Is that too much to ask for? So we'll go, when we get to that point, we'll come back on this podcast and be a little bit less skeptical. Um, but with that said, Tommy, let's talk about LeBron James because he is a, a reason for optimism and hope outside of, you know, at times it's like, oh, is he just futilely chasing miles, historic milestones and stats and whatnot? But I think even if that's technically his mindset... I feel like LeBron James being able to compartmentalize the season where it's not like he wants to lose, right? It's not like he's given up on winning, but maybe he's sort of focused things towards, you know what, to hell with it. This season is lost anyway, so let me have fun out there, find joy in the game, while also achieving these historic feats and continuing to climb the ladder. And I think by virtue of doing so, we're seeing some of the most incredible LeBron James performances he's ever put up, especially given the context of him being 37 years old and along the way, oh, the Lakers are winning too. So it's kind of happening in concert because LeBron James has maybe, I don't know, tweaked things a little bit mentally. But regardless, he's been on an absolute mission. He's hitting that running one-legged Dirk fadeaway shot that he likes to call the parachute with regularity. He's been a lethal off-ball 
cutter, knifing into the lane for these ridiculous dunks, throwing down these age-defying, air-defying hammers. And I contend that in space, whenever LeBron is dunking in space, he is still the most explosively athletic player in the NBA. Definitely at least top five. And that's crazy to say, given that he's 37 years old. I mean, you saw that dunk against Kevin Love where his hand and the ball were pretty much above the square of the basket. That was nuts. Yeah, it was nuts. And outside of that, he's knocking down these three-point shots. He's knocking down heaps of threes, essentially. He's even blocking shots, et cetera, et cetera. So right now, at the time of this recording, LeBron is... Well, first of all, congrats to LeBron James for passing Karl Malone. He is number two all-time in the NBA in points scored. He is also currently chasing the scoring title at age 37 and would be the oldest player to do so if he does it. Currently, LeBron leads the league in scoring, averaging 30 points a game. Embiid and Giannis are behind him at 29.8. Although you contextualize things and see the disparity the free throw disparity that Embiid and Giannis have over LeBron and becomes even more impressive that LeBron is averaging 30 points a game. And quick tangent, Tommy, but wild free throw stat here for LeBron James that puts LeBron's scoring feats into context this season. So LeBron is currently number one, and in the top seven scorers currently in the NBA, LeBron at number one is the only one averaging less than six free throw attempts a game. He averages 5.9 free throw attempts. What would you guess Embiid averages? I know it's high. Yeah, without looking, uh, probably eight or something? No, he averages 11.8 free throw attempts a game. (laughs) Okay, so that's, so LeBron at 5.9, right? Number two in scoring is Embiid. He averages 11.8 free throw attempts. Number three or tied with Embiid is Giannis. Giannis averages 11.6 free throw attempts. Oh Number four on the scoring list is Trey Young. He averages 7.3 attempts. Luca averages 7.3 as well. DeRozan, 7.8. Morant, 7.3. Tatum, 6.2, which is the closest thing to what LeBron averages. But, you know, Tatum is what? It's number seven in the NBA points scored averages uh, list. So, It's crazy that LeBron is number one on this list, averaging 30 points a game and has less than six free throw attempts a game in comparison to all of these other guys. On top of that, he scored 50 plus points twice at the age of 37. With regards to what he's doing this year, he's shooting a Lakers career high 52.3% from the field. He is hitting an NBA career high 2.83s a game. His next highest uh was 2.3 threes made last year. So he's hitting about a half a three more a game this year. Um, He's hitting 62% on all of his two-pointers, his highest mark since 2013-14 with Miami, 75.8% from the line, his highest mark since 2011-12 with Miami. He's averaging 1.1 blocks this season, something he hasn't done since 2008-2009 with Cleveland when he was 24 years old. He's doing all this at age 37, year 19. Tommy, your thoughts on what LeBron James has doing, even though there are times where he's frustrated, he doesn't play defense, yada, yada. But again, he's doing his best with this uh, godforsaken season. Yeah, it's a shame that, you know, the things have been so cloudy around this organization this entire season. And, and you know, obviously we've significantly under, under uh, you know, exceeded the expectations or not met the expectations, I should say. So, I feel like a lot of that is causing a characterization of LeBron's season as, well, he's just chasing stats. And I think it's it's like, you know, you put a guy into a situation where 
he's damned either way, you know what I mean? If he wasn't playing and was just sitting out and was like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm at least here for two more years because of, you know, Bronny's not going to be in the NBA for two more years and my family's here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I'm just going to shut myself down. And he's had the lingering knee thing all year, you know, or yeah. most of the year. And I'm just going to shut myself down, you know, because 80's out, this team's clearly going nowhere. I mean, Russ was a barely passable NBA player for a while before, like, the recent, you know, good stretch that he's had. Um, And if he did that, he would be completely trash, and I think maybe somewhat rightfully so. But here he is going out every single night playing 35 to 40-plus minutes a game, like, even more because we've had, like, a couple overtime games in the last few weeks. And it's... He just can't win, you know what I mean? And it's it's like it's char- it's creating this characterization. I realize like a lot of this is Skip Bayless or people who were just trying to clickbait, right? But it's creating this characterization of him of like, well, he's just he's only playing this year to 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 chase stats. Well, maybe he's only playing to try to win, like carry this team that with the big three already isn't good. You know what I mean? And then when you take out the, uh, are the best or second best, depending on how you want to look at both sides of the floor, part of that big three out of the equation, they're obviously even much worse. You know, to like to to for a guy to come out and try his best to will this team to wins, I can't believe that's like being viewed as like a negative thing or like he has some sort of ulterior motive. It's such a shame that I mean, like you said, he's He's doing all these incredible things offensively. The interesting thing about the career high as a Laker in shooting is a much higher percentage of his shots this year are coming from the perimeter. You know, beyond the, like, you know, whatever, seven, eight threes a game he's averaging um, in, in terms of attempts, he's shooting a lot of jump shots just generally. You know, I think he has been attacking a little bit more this month. And so his free throw numbers, you know, you were talking about the free throw numbers. Those have slightly gone up this month um, compared to his overall season average. But I mean, he's just like, he's so skilled. He comes in every night. The dude is like, you know, in a season filled with inconsistency, he's been like the one consistent piece for us. Um, and he's continued to push through all the negativity and all the depressing lows and and new lows and new new lows that this team has hit this season. <laughs> LeBron has been there, consistently showing up, consistently pushing through, and consistently trying to carry this team offensively. And it's needed because, again, this team with the big three is not that good as we've seen. And without Anthony Davis, it's like, who are you looking to score um, outside of LeBron? Like, one guy is going to have to carry the load of two guys offensively, and that's what LeBron has been doing for essentially the entire season so far. Yeah, it's nuts. And thank God, right? He seems rejuvenated, and like I mentioned, he's almost taken this, if the season's done, might as well go out swinging and having fun while doing so, while also chasing some historic milestones. And I think that... I wouldn't even call it a DGAF mentality, but DGAF compartmentalization of this season to maintain his own engagement has actually worked because, again, now it seems like it's infectious on the other guys, and maybe we will be able to string a little bit more, a little bit more wins along the way. We'll see. Um, but yeah, kudos to LeBron James, and it's been a it's been a pleasure in spite of this very strange season to watch him play because he's doing so 
the highest efficient levels that he's ever done for the most part, which is insane, but at a different spectrum, right? Because in the past where a lot of these things would happen off of dunks and layups and whatnot, as you mentioned, he's doing this off of free throws. He's hitting 62% on all his twos, and most of his twos have come on mid-range jump shots and particularly that fadeaway parachute shot that he talks about and likes to take. Um, Let's talk about Russell Westbrook, or should I say Russell Bestbrook, Told you this guy was good. Uh, Now, it's only three games, but Westbrook is averaging 21 points, 9.6 assists, eight rebounds, one steal on 53% from the field, 50% from three, hitting eight of 16 threes the last three games. Uh, Prior to his four of seven shooting performance from three-point land against, what team was that that he did that against? Toronto. Westbrook had had only hit more than one three, in his last 18 games prior to that, which is crazy. Yeah. And then he hit four of seven, and then in this last stretch, eight of 16 over the last three. Now, this is kind of what we saw from Russ during his November month when we praised him and said he had actually been a steady presence on the court, and this is all we could have asked for. I don't know if you remember that podcast. Seems so yeah. long ago. But that month, he averaged 22, eight, and eight. These days, or these days, these last three games, he's attacking the rim at the right times. He's taking the three-point shot when he needs to and keeping the defense honest. More importantly, he's taking them confidently regardless of how badly he misses. And he's also hitting his mid-range shot, which I think is important, while also being a lot more judicious with his playmaking, evidenced by what? He had 11 assists and one turnover the last game, right? I think that's the best Russell Westbrook stat I feel like you could point to all season outside of the threes and, and the better shooting percentage, et cetera, et cetera. But in short, give me your one-minute thoughts on Russell Westbrook. Are you back on the Russell Westbrook experience bandwagon? I'm definitely back. I And, you know, I think the guy gets criticism and, and maybe sometimes he deserves it. But at the end of the day, he's on the Lakers and we're Laker fans. And we want him to do well. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not like I'm here cheering for Russell Westbrook to do poorly. I just think this season he had such a long stretch. I mean, I, I'm just looking at his monthly splits, right? And it's like January, pretty much starting at the beginning of January through the end of February, he just was not good. I mean, in February, he shot over the month 36% from the field and averaged 14 points a game. Like, that's Wasn't not going to get like it done. Wasn't he shooting like 15% from three or something 16% for the <laughs> from three, yeah, in the month of February. And that's just not going to get it done, right? Like, we know Russ is not a perimeter shooter, but what he was doing in, you know, November, what he was doing in December and and uh, you know, through those first few months of the season, that's kind of like what we were expecting, right? Like we knew it wasn't going to be the triple double Russell Westbrook experience just because of the different context here, but 36% and 15% from three, you know, 30% from three is already not good, but you can live with it. 15% from three is just like, not like, that's not going to cut yeah. it. You know what I mean? I mean? He was shooting worse than like, you would have like Dwight Howard out there shooting uh, three threes, you know? So it was just something was clearly going on with him. And then, of course, his issues with the media, his issues with fans. And, I mean, everything was just sort of bubbling over. But, I mean, I've really viewed Westbrook as, like, you know, really this last three games he's he's made a big turn. But even the whole month of, of March so far, he's been playing significantly better than he had been playing. Um, so that's, like, a step in the right direction. But... You know, I I don't know. I don't know what's clicked with him, but maybe he's just sort of, re- you know, the the, the 30, 
the making multiple threes a game for two, you know, how he's done that for three games in a row, like that's probably not going to <laughs> consistently continue, mm-hmm. and that's fine. And the key is when that step fades away, is he still going to be able to do the other things that he has consistently been doing, which is creating plays for others while limiting turnovers mm-hmm. um, and finishing at the rim? If he can do those two things, it's going to mask a lot of other deficiencies that you know he kind of has. And so, again, I, I, I still don't think this changes anything. I mean, Westbrook at this point can go on just an insane individual run for the final 10 games of the season, have a really good play-in, or you know, however we end up looking in the playoffs, like look really good in, in that stuff. And I still think that he's probably not going to end up here next year, but... I mean, yeah, as like a, as a Laker fan, I want to see him do well. He he doesn't deserve a lot of the criticism that you know. It's like people taking this season and and now writing off this guy's entire career is not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so for him to kind of show up and be like, actually, I can still play, is kind of nice to see because the reality is the dude is thirty three years old. He'll be thirty four, you know, start of next season. And I guarantee you, if he's back in his his situation where he gets to you know run the, run everything the Russell Westbrook way, he will have another amazing season next year. Um, probably not on this team, but but for another team. Um, so it's been nice to see, and and uh, gives me a little bit of hope if he can if he can continue this consistency to close the end of the season because he's such a high variance player, right? And if if we've caught him mm-hmm. on the upswing at like the right time. It could be. It could make for a very exciting, you know, final ten games of the season here. Yeah, if he just does what he did in November, twenty-two, eight and eight, then we have something to work with. But like you mentioned, I agree with you. This doesn't change anything for me. We need to abort the Russell Westbrook experience this summer and get what we can get out of this, the rest of this season with him. And from a human level, I'm glad that he's able to turn things around and gain some respectability and dignity for his name and his game. uh, Because I hope he gets another job in the NBA somewhere. I'm sure he will. It'll just have to be massively tweaked expectations and role, et cetera, et cetera, which I think this very hard season, I think is good practice for him to eventually get to that Carmelo Anthony state of really shifting his mindset and what the rest of his career will look like. But for the meantime, great on Russell Westbrook for himself, but also the team as well. All right, we'll take it to break and then we'll close the show out and talk about some of the young guys who have sort of helped give the Lakers a spark of energy and sort of align themselves with LeBron's seemingly, you know, fountain of youth play recently. So yeah, we will catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we are back. Tommy, a win is a when, Yin. Gabriel, that's the title of this uh, episode. A win is a when. So, Wenyan Gabriel, still on a two-way contract. Uh, We're hoping he gets converted to a standard contract, and we've been saying that he should have been a standard contract from the get-go, but it is what it is. Having said that, he has started two games in the last week, in the last three games. Both were wins. He had a 17-point game where he hit 7 of 8 from the field, 3 of 3 from 3 against Toronto, and then had 9.6 rebounds, 2 steals versus Cleveland. Didn't hit any threes, but that's the way his shot goes right now. He also had a 10-point game versus Minnesota a week ago that led up to this recent stretch. Now, 
Wenyan Gabriel's shot has come and gone, and it's clear he's not a pure shooter, but he's a guy who can get hot, and at least he can space the floor for you as a quote-unquote big. The things that have really stood out to me are his really good motor. You know, he is the Lakers mentality drill leader (laughs) in the draft, uh, still to this day, I believe, uh, and that's largely due to his motor. Uh, He's been hustling out there, running the floor very smoothly. He's not the most athletic, but he's actually been showing some touch around the rim and showing some contortability in finishing his at-the-rim shots. Uh, On defense, he's moving his feet. He's contesting out to the perimeter. He's just more mobile than anything that we have on this roster. And then you combine that with his length, and it causes problems for the other team while also giving us some versatility on the offensive end. Um, His activity and his energy combined with his natural length and the spacing principles he provides as a big I feel like have been a godsend on this team that sorely lacked all of those things. Now, what are your thoughts on Wenyan Gabriel? And before you give your thoughts, I have a comp for him. Okay. Um, it's kind of a weird one, but sort of based off of his physique and sort of the skills that he provides on the court, he kind of reminds me of a younger Taj Gibson who spaces things out to the three-point line. Now, not a washed-up Taj Gibson who got crossed to hell by Trey Young last night, but sort of more of the prime, more, sort of more of the prime Taj Gibson. So think of Taj Gibson, who instead of shooting the mid-range jump shots that he's done his entire career, think of Taj Gibson shooting threes. And I think that's the type of player Wenyan can become. I'm not sure he'll ever be the lockdown defender Taj was in his prime, especially on the perimeter, but. The tools and the want from Wenyan are there. And when Wenyan's shot is actually on like that 17-point game, and if that ever becomes consistent, then maybe he could become more of a, I don't know, slip into more of that Bobby Portis-type role, even though I know Portis is a lot more offensively versatile and can post up and shoot a turnaround J and whatnot. But in terms of just the profile of a versatile big who can also space the floor, can Wenyan fit into a Bobby Portis prototype, like a poor man's version of that? I think... Yes, but yeah, what are your thoughts on, on Wenyan's play recently and then my uh, three-point shooting Taj Gibson comp? Yeah, so I mean, I like the Bobby Portis comp, and right, it's like Bobby Portis, first of all, he was, a, I think, first-round pick when he was coming out of, out, of, uh, out of college, but he also, like, similarly, despite being a first-round pick, had years of inconsistency before he sort of everything clicked for him and he sort of like his efficiency shot up and he sort of like realized how he could make an impact, um, particularly defensively in the last few years. He's, he's become really solid on that end. I told you Portis was better than Randall. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly this year. Um, but you know, it's, I, I see similarities with Wenyan. Wenyan is a lot more raw, I think, than Portis was when he was coming out. I think Wenyan obviously has been in the league for a few years at this point, but he's still raw. And you kind of see it in his game, right? Like, he sort of looks like a little spazzy almost, which you sort of ex- – you, see, you see that more with uh, younger guys. But the guy has all the physical tools and desire to be a very good piece, particularly for – the modern NBA. I mean, he's six nine and strong with a seven one wingspan. So that right away puts him in in a good spot. Um, I know this got a lot of uh, talk back in you know whenever he was drafted. I, I'm blanking on how many years, two or three years ago, when he was drafted. 
Uh, but when the Lakers brought him in for workouts, he was like the highest scorer and like that Lakers mentality drill that they mm-hmm. do, right? Where they basically like burn you out and then make you shoot a bunch of threes. And he, you know, was the leader in that drill um, from everyone they worked out. And he has the ability to shoot. I mean, we've seen him hit corner threes. I think it's like he's inconsistent right now because, well, first of all, I think he, you know, obviously hadn't been playing a bunch this season. But I think that, you know, if that starts to come along, you know that he's going to give you the the effort on defense. And I think, like, things could, you know, th- this guy's starting to shape up to be, like, kind of a nice player. Um, he's smart, in my opinion, finishing around the rim. He has, like, kind of softer touch than you would expect. Um, mm-hmm. Again, for somebody who seems like fairly raw in some respects, he's got that, he's got the good length. Um, again, I think he'll be able to hit the three. I, I've been really impressed by him. Um, I kind of hope that we do something to try to, you know, make him a piece of, of the team moving forward because I, I think he has some upside for sure. So, you know, he's only 24 years old still. And these are the types of players that, are going to be required as LeBron continues to get older, as we continue to move, you know, away from the, the multiple big lineups and, and towards something that might be a little bit more in tune with the, you know, modern game. Um, but yeah, overall I've been, I've been really impressed. I like the, I like the Bobby Portis comp, I think a little bit better than the Taj comp. I think Taj, I know you, you, you caveated with the defensive point, but I, I just think Taj was so solid defensively, like yeah, you know, yeah. even when coming out of college, and he was much more of a shot blocker. Where I, I view Wenyan more as like a positional uh, solid defender in terms of his upside. Um, so, but yeah, you know the the comps are there. I think I think you know he has he still has upside, and and I'm excited to see uh, how he continues to develop for you know the last couple weeks of the season. Yeah, and I think one thing that's really stood out to me about Wenyan is he's a good off-ball cutter. It seems like he yes. dives into space at all the right times. I mean, you saw that play with Austin Reeves, right, where out of nowhere, Wenyan just, like, darts to the basket and gave Austin Reeves that outlet at the last second and then just went in for the jam. So, I mean, he, there is moldable clay there. It's just, can we mold it? Can we bring this clay in and continue yeah. to mold it? So. Yeah, and actually, I mean, even comparing him to other flyers, right? Like Stanley Johnson, who came on strong for us this season. And by the way, I think has still been playing well um, yes. overall. Uh, but Stanley is like, although he might have at this stage an edge on Wenyan as just a straight man and probably even help defender, just because I think his defensive IQ is maybe a little higher than Wenyan's at this point. I think Wenyan sort of fills those voids by being a much more impactful defensive option, um, or excuse me, offensive option. Um, like you mentioned, the cutting and the the timely knowing where to position himself. It's been such short bursts with him where I feel like we've gotten a much stronger look at Stanley. I mean, Stanley's averaged 20 plus minutes a game since... December, you know what I mean? So it's like, we've had a a much longer look at him than we have at Wenyan, who has been getting like 12 minutes a game until, you know, the last couple games. So when he comes out for these short bursts, it is just, I don't know, to me, and I know this is just like an eye test thing. It is just very notable that it seems like he's always able to position himself exactly where he needs to be offensively to either, like you said, cut off the ball and get a layup uh, when somebody drives where he's supposed to locate to get a three or 
where he's supposed to locate to try to get, you know, uh, an offensive rebound, maybe. Like, it just, it feels like he is a lot more in tune offensively than than maybe Stanley is even. So I, I think he he has some promising um, promising aspects to his game that I think should be explored a little bit more. Yeah, he just needs to cut down on the fouling because that's the reason why he's also not been getting true, the true, requisite true. amount of minutes. So that's the one area where he he doesn't put himself in the best positions. Um, and I bring up the I, I bring up the Todd Gibson comp because as someone to aspire to be, because I do think he has good positional defending capabilities, which is what at the end of the day, when Todd Gibson became an older player, that was his bread and butter, still being able to switch on pick and roll and defend that action adequately, right? Um, and then what is like the lower end version of a Bobby Portis? It's Todd Gibson because he can't really shoot threes. But I think, like you said, it's kind of like a, a middle in between Todd Gibson and Bobby Portis and maybe melding the two uh, together where he becomes more of a defensive player than Bobby Portis is, but more of an offensive, better shooting player than Todd Gibson is. So um, let's quickly touch on Austin Reeves because he has been the other standout in this recent stretch and he has started games and He's been just so impressive. So amongst all rookies averaging at least 18 minutes a game this season, Reeves is number one in net rating still with a plus 3.2, followed by Zaire Williams on the Memphis Grizzlies, Herb Jones of the Pelicans, and then Evan Mobley. On the Lakers, Austin Reeves is just number one in net rating, period, <laughs> as a rookie, <laughs> plus 3.2. Again, this doesn't mean he's the best player on the Lakers, just that anytime you put him into any lineup, he's going to succeed and help that lineup gel. And that's exactly what he's done. This probably comes as no surprise to you, Tommy, but I actually looked up the stat for charges drawn per game and where yeah. Austin Reeves ranks. Austin Reeves ranks seventh in charges drawn per game yeah. out of the entire NBA with a 0.28 average. He's tied with Cody Martin, then LeBron James is sixth, then Derek White, Kevin Love, Garrison Matthews, Kyle Lowry, and Blake Griffin is number one. Blake Griffin is barely a rotation player, so you can pretty much say Austin Reeves ranks sixth in charges drawn per game. Just Really impressive as a rookie. In the month of March, 12 games, 26 minutes per game, Austin is averaging 9.4 points, 4 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 45% from the field, 45% from 3, hitting 1.2 a game, 91% free throws. I think that 3-point percentage is wrong, actually. I have to double-check that. May have been a typo. 91% free throws, 14.5% usage. He has had 14 assists and 0 turnovers in his last 3 games, Tommy. Well... That is bonkers. He's had six assists twice in the last three games, matching his career high of six, which he had one other time this year. You know, all this time this season, we've lauded over how savvy he is, how smart he is, his fundamentals, yada, yada, how lethal an off-ball cutter he is. But now that his usage has sort of risen and he's been able to create more on-ball, it's just wild to see, and I know it's not wild for people who have followed his college career and saw what he did his last year because this is essentially what he was doing, but as an undrafted rookie on this Lakers team, to see him find the best chemistry with LeBron James lately, hitting him with all these pinpoint bounce passes, transition hit heads, et cetera, et cetera, while also crossing people over and getting into the lane himself, creating shots for himself, for other guys, it's just like... His quick twitch ability and playmaking creation skills off the triple just continue to surprise and mesmerize me, even though I probably shouldn't be. But yeah, what have your thoughts been on Austin Reeves? Because he has been just super impressive. Yes, I am a huge Austin Reeves fan. Um, I have been since the season started. And I feel like the one thing that is really unfair to him 
and unfair to the player he gets comp to, right? Which I'm obviously I'm thinking of Alex Caruso, which is you know the obvious comp that people made in the beginning because you know Alex Caruso was also uh, a six foot five white guard that we <laughs> that we signed as an undrafted free agent who was good as a defender. Um, I feel like that's where like the comp is so superficial, and it's like it's really a slap to both of those guys because they're very different players. And I think Austin has so much upside. This guy was amazing at Oklahoma. Um, he should have been drafted in the second round of the NBA draft, so he shouldn't have been an undrafted player. We really got a steal right off the bat when we got him. He looked great in the summer league. You know, again, despite not even putting up super flashy stats, he just looked like an NBA player. He looked great in the preseason, and he's continued to get better and better and better as the season's progressed. He's super, super in control. And, you know, you mentioned the uh, no turnovers and 17 assists or whatever he has over the last three games. In the month of, you know, March, he is assist to turnover ratio is basically three to one. Which, yeah, and, and this, again, it's not like this guy is completely out of the loop on offense or he's just like a corner catch-and-shoot type of no, three-point player. Well, like, that, sorry, that's what I was going to say in terms of his assists. It's like he's getting these assists, but it's not like he's not taking chances, right? He's yes. throwing these bullet passes and slipping the, he's slipping the ball through multiple defenders and actually creating off his own dribble and crossing dudes over as well to get these assists. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, three no turnovers for the last three games, but in the five games or so, before that, you know, basically he hasn't had more than two turnovers in a game in this entire month. And he's been playing 26 minutes a game and he's a yeah. guard. He handles the ball, you know, so it's, it's pretty impressive. And, and he drives, I mean, he does a lot of things, forget just like actually passing. He, he, he does a lot of things that should create turnover situations while he's on the court. And, but he just doesn't do it. He's so in control. Um, I frankly have not seen a guy like this come in who, you know, he wants to go to the rim. I mean, he's been shooting better from the perimeter uh, as of late, but especially from three point, the, uh, the three point line, but he does want to attack the rim too. And he somehow like very rarely gets called for charges um, because again, he's so in control of what he's doing, but I just think this guy has so much, Upside. I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar NBA player, right? But he could be a superstar role player. And I think mm-hmm. the Caruso comp is unfair to both guys. I think Caruso is a much better athlete. But I think that's frankly where, when you start extrapolating this guy's career, maybe where the comparison ends. I mean, I think Austin is frankly a much, much better. And I don't think this is even really debatable. Certainly as a rookie, much, much better offensive player than Alex Caruso was essentially the entire time he was with us. And, you know, Alex Caruso over time became the best, if not, you know, if not the best, certainly one of the top five perimeter defenders in the NBA during his time with us. But as a rookie, as a second year player, it's like, yeah, the hustle was there. The, uh, the desire was there, but it wasn't necessarily the case that like the metrics were there and the numbers were there. But Austin Reeves, as a rookie, I feel like for the role he's getting and and the types of minutes he's getting, the metrics metrics kind of speak for themselves. I mean, he's been amazing defensively um, for us, and there's no reason to think that he can't get better even on that end. So if he continues, he just needs to, to work on his body. So. Exactly, exactly, which all rookies do, right? So if he continues to work on that end. 
I mean, the sky is is honestly the limit for this guy because, like you said, he's averaging nearly 10 points a game this month, and shooting efficiency is starting to go up, although, you know, other than, like, a couple of inconsistent months he's had this season, um, partially due to, you know, maybe even getting some inconsistent playing time. Yes. Um he has been fairly effective and efficient as, as uh, you know, just in terms of his shooting efficiency um, numbers. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm super excited. I'm really glad we have this guy on the books for next year. After that, I don't even know how the extension works for a guy who's coming out of a state. We might have to give him like a THT type of contract, which at that point he'll certainly be worth it. Um, and it's just, yeah. It, it's it's been fantastic to watch, and this is the benefit, by the way, of of drafting these like twenty three year old like super senior uh, type of guys from college because they can if you get a good player he can really come in and make an impact as a first year player, and I think we're seeing that with Austin, and I still think again I still think that despite the fact that he came in as a super senior um, into the NBA he still has a tremendous amount of upside, and he just is so smart that you feel like. If things are clicking already, they will just continue to click and continue to click for him as as he advances through his career. Yeah, he's so smart, but then he flashes like this upside with him on the ball where he shows you his shake and the dribbles that he has in his bag and just how savvy he is. And I swear, there are particular flashes offensively where you see how quick he is at decision-making-wise and also just how solid and in control he is, but... Do you not see some shades of Goran Dragic? Like, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, he's going to sure. become Goran, but like some of the reads he's making out there for himself and others at this stage are like, that's kind of what Goran did. You know, he was never like an all-star, but he was like almost close. I'm not saying Austin's going to be almost close to an all-star, but something approximating that level in short bursts, I think he could he could do. To correct my original stats for his month of March, he's averaging 9.4 points, 4 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 45% from the field, 35% from 3, hitting 1.2 a game. Um, And I think the 3-point shooting will come around solely due to, like you mentioned, getting more reps and knowing his, his role in that respect and being more confident letting that thing fly. But yeah, overall, kudos to Austin Reeves. He has been one super bright spot alongside LeBron James. And the fact that he has this chemistry with LeBron yeah. just instantly is bonkers. Four of his like six assists were all going to LeBron James. And LeBron James, all LeBron had to do was like dunk it, you know? How many times is a defense honed in on LeBron, but for some reason Austin's able to find him still, you know? It's, yeah. It's incredible. Really quickly, Tommy, to close with like a minute left, I just want to talk about Stanley Johnson. I sort of want to play devil's advocate to your point about Wenyan Gabriel being a better offensive threat with. Recently, Stanley Johnson has been showing us his playmaking skills. I know he had a five-assist game in the last week. In 22 minutes average in March, Stanley's averaging nearly two assists a game, which is his highest month average uh, this season with assists. And considering the team doesn't even look to him to do that, I think it's impressive because he's getting these assists based simply off of attacking closeouts. And given the fact that he's not even a good shooter, the fact that he's able to even, the fact that he's even getting closeouts and then he's attacking them pretty productively and competently and creating off his own dribble after that, whether for himself or for others, I feel like is a real tool and asset. And when you see those things happen with Stanley Johnson, where he's driving it into the lane and finding a guy like Wenyan Gabriel for a dunk or kicking it out to a shooter 
and you realize just how solid, just how solidly his handles are, you, you are reminded that this dude was a lotto pick for a reason. And so just what are your thoughts on Stanley Johnson? I feel like he's finally started to come around these last couple of games as well. There was a stretch where he had like only five, he was only getting like five or six minutes. And I was like, here's Vogel again. But thank God we've risen those minutes and made him a staple part of the rotation because he's done what he's done for us all season, provide tremendous defense. But recently it's been more on the offensive end with the off-ball cutting. He's actually hitting threes. He's hitting his mid-range jump shot. And then what's impressed me the most again is his handles and his ability to create on ball. Yeah. um, And, and, you know, Talking up Wanyan earlier was not in any way intended to be like sure, sure. diminishing what Stanley has done. Because you're right, he has been doing it consistently. But I, I agree. Over the course of the season, we've seen him sort of make that switch. And and maybe Stanley Johnson will never be that lottery player that the Detroit Pistons thought they were getting when they drafted him. But maybe he will be like a lottery player caliber role player, right? And I think that's kind of what we've seen and. The last month or so um, of him really accepting, like very visibly to me, accepting his role, like when he's not trying to do too much, like when he gets the ball, I feel like there was a period of time where he was maybe getting a little bit overeager and was like, well, I need to justify my minutes. So I'm just going to get the ball and steamroll myself into the paint Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and try to like get something up off the glass. And, and lately it's, been so much more controlled. Like when he gets the ball, he's looking for a ball handler. Um, He's looking to set a screen and position himself in a way to make an easier shot for himself uh, uh, and create an outlet for his teammate who is going to be creating. Um, So I, I've been, again, I, with these young guys, it's like, and, and like you said, kind of earlier reference this earlier, like a lot of this is what we've been pining for the entire season. Like get, LeBron and even Westbrook out there on the court with a bunch of young guys who have desire and are willing to learn and are willing to play hard. And you'll probably eventually get some results. And I think that's what we're starting to see um, with, with, you know, we talked about Wendy earlier, we talked about Austin and, and I think Stanley is the same thing. I mean, the guy's averaging a steal and a half per game over the entire month. He's had multiple three steal games. The only games that he's had no steals was was that stretch you were referencing where he yeah. for some reason wasn't getting any minutes um, <laughs> after like averaging thirty minutes a game for like the <laughs> two weeks no before that? <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's it's he is who he is, right? He's not, and and you hope that as he continues to get more experience because he's only twenty five years old too, and and starts to feel more confident in his ability to hit these open corner threes, or I think I feel like he even likes the. Uh, the ones from the, the three from the angle a little bit even too, but you know, as he transition, start, especially yeah. exactly. Yeah. So as he starts to get more confidence and consistency with those types of shots, he's just going to get better and better. But for right now, yeah, like you said, he's doing, he's doing the right things. And I don't know, maybe him and Wenyan both got like a talking to about how they're supposed to be cutting when, when Russ and, and LeBron and other guys are driving. And, and so you're right that he's, it seems like he's found himself in, in a position to get himself, much easier shots recently so that he doesn't have to take shots that exclusively take shots that are outside of his comfort zone. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. 12 points in the last two games, even hit two threes the last game. And we haven't even talked about Malik Monk, who, when he plays at least 30-plus minutes, Tommy, in 25 games, he's averaging 18.6 points, 4.1 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal on 49% from the field and 43% from 3-point land, hitting 3.2 a game. So, the young guys are a reason to be optimistic about this Lakers, whether it actually amounts to anything for this season or we can carry some of them over to next season they have been a bright spot. The Lakers are currently ninth place in the Western Conference. They have 10 games left. They play the Sixers tonight. AD seems to be ramping back up and looking good. There is clear cause for excitement. Just put a grain of salt on that excitement. But there is excitement. Salty excitement. But we'll see where it goes. And we're hoping for two games in a row, three games in a row. But we finally have some positive momentum. And hopefully we can work off of that, whether or not it's a turning point again or just a flash in the pan. As Tommy mentioned, there are things to glean from positively. or There are things to glean that are positive. So with that said, we will catch you guys next time. And Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.